Number 17. Muhammad Bahauddin Shah Naqshband The turtle dove sings its lament at dawn and weeps. My tears disturb her sleep, and her tears disturb mine. When she and I complain, we understand not each other, but I know her grief, and she knows mine. Abul Hassan al-Nuri Shah Naqshband was an ocean of knowledge that has no shore. Its waves were woven with the pearls of heavenly knowledge. He cleansed humanity with his ocean of innocence and piety. He quenched the thirst of souls with the water of his spiritual support. The whole world, including its oceans and continents, were within his grasp. He was a star decorated with the crown of guidance. He sanctified all human souls without exception with his holy breath. He adorned even the remotest corner with the secrets of Muhammadan Rasulullah. His light penetrated every dark layer of ignorance. His outstanding proofs cast away the least whisper of doubt from the hearts of humanity. His powerful miracles brought life to the hearts after their deaths and provided souls with their provision for the spiritual realm. He was nursed in the station of the arch-intercessor when he was a child in the cradle. He sipped the nectar of unseen knowledge from the cup of reality. If Muhammad were not the last of the prophets, he would have been a prophet. All praise to God for sending such a reviver of religion. He uplifted the hearts of humanity, causing them to soar in the sky of spirituality. He made kings to stand at his door. He spread his guidance from north to south and from east to west. He left no one without heavenly support, even the wild beasts in the jungles. He was the greatest arch-intercessor, the sultan of saints, the necklace of all the spiritual pearls that were bestowed on this world by the Divine Presence. By the light of his guidance, God caused the good to be the best and transformed evil into goodness. He was the master of this way, the sheikh of the golden chain, and the best of those who carried this lineage from the Huajagan. He was born in the month of Muharram in 717 Hijra, 1317 current era, in the village of Khasar al-Arafan near Bukhara. Allah granted him miraculous powers in his childhood. He had been taught about the secret of this way by his first teacher, Sayyid Muhammad Baba Asamasi. Then he was given the secret and the mastery of the order by his Sheikh 
Sayyid Amir Kullal. He was also Uwaisi in his connection to the Prophet, as he was raised in the spiritual presence of Abdul Khaliq al-Gushtuwani, who preceded him by two hundred years. The Beginning of His Guidance and the Guidance of His Beginning Shah Naqshaband was eighteen years of age when he was sent by his grandfather to the village of Samas to serve the Sheikh of the Way, Muhammad Baba As-Samasi, who had asked for him. From the beginning of his companionship with the Sheikh, he perceived within himself countless blessings and the urge for great sincerity and devotion. Of his youth, he relates... I would arise early, three hours before the dawn prescribed prayer, take ablution, and after performing the sunnah prayers, I would go into prostration, supplicating God with the following prayer. O my Lord, give me the power to carry the difficulties and the pain of your love. Then I would pray the dawn prescribed prayer with the sheikh. One day, on his way out, he looked at me and said, as if he had been with me when I made that supplication, O oh, my son, you have to change the method of your supplication. Instead, say, O oh God, grant your pleasure to this weak servant. God does not like his servants to be in difficulties, although God in his wisdom might give some difficulties to his servants to test them, the servant must not ask to be in difficulties. This would not be respectful to your Lord. When Sheikh Muhammad Baba Asamasi died, my grandfather took me to Bukhara and I married there. I lived in Qasr al-Arafan, which was God's special care to me because I was near Sayyid Amir Khulal. I stayed in his service and he told me that Sheikh Muhammad Baba As-Samasi had told him a long time before that, I will not be happy with you if you will not take good care of him. One day, I was sitting with a friend in seclusion when the heavens opened and a grand vision came to me, and I heard a voice saying, Is it not enough for you to leave everyone and come to our presence alone? This voice reduced me to a state of trembling, causing me to run away from that house. I ran to a river. I threw myself in it. I washed my clothes and prayed two cycles in a way that I had never prayed before, feeling as if I was praying in the Divine Presence. Everything was opened to my heart in a state of unveiling. The entire universe disappeared and I was not aware of anything other than praying in His presence. At the beginning of my state of attraction, I had been asked, Why are you going to enter on this path? I answered, In order that whatever I say and whatever I want will happen. I was answered, That will not be. Whatever we say and whatever we want is what will happen. I said, 
I cannot do that. I must be permitted to say and do whatever I like, or I do not want this way. Then I received the answer, No, it is whatever we want to be said and whatever we want to be done that must be said and done. I said again, Whatever I say and whatever I do is what must be. Then I was left alone for fifteen days until I was overwhelmed with a tremendous depression. Finally, I heard a voice. O、oh, Bahaudin, whatever you want, we will grant. I was overjoyed. I said, I want to be given a path that will lead anyone who travels on it straight to the Divine Presence. I experienced a great vision and heard a voice saying, You are granted what you have asked. On his progress and struggle on the way. Shah Naqshband relates. One time I was in a state of divine attraction and in a state of absent mindedness, moving from here to there, not aware of what I was doing. My feet were torn and bleeding from thorns when darkness fell. I felt myself attracted to the house of my sheikh, Sayyid Amir Kulal. It was a pitch black night with no moon or stars showing. The air was very cold. And I had nothing on but an old leather cloak. When I arrived at his house, I found him sitting with his friends. When he saw me, he told his followers, Take him out, I do not want him in my house. They put me out, and I felt that my ego was trying to overcome me, and that it was taking over my heart and my feelings, trying to poison my trust in my sheikh. At that point, God's divine care and His mercy were my only support in carrying this humiliation in the cause of God and the cause of my Sheikh. I said to my ego, I will not allow you to poison my trust in my Sheikh. I felt so tired and so depressed that I put the state of humbleness at the door of pride, placed my head on the threshold of the door of my teacher, And took an oath that I would not move it until he accepted me again. The snow was beginning to fall, and the frigid air penetrated my bones, causing me to tremble in the dark night. There was not even the warmth of the moon to comfort me. I remained in that state until I nearly froze, but the love that was inside my heart, the love for the divine, And the love for the door of the divine, my sheikh, kept me warm. Dawn came, and my sheikh stepped out of his door without seeing me physically. He put his foot on my head, which was still on his threshold. On sensing my head, he immediately withdrew his foot, took me inside his house, and said to me, O、oh, my son, you have been adorned with the dress of happiness. You have been adorned with the dress of divine love. You have been adorned with a dress with which neither myself nor my sheikh has been adorned. 
God is happy with you. The Prophet is happy with you. All the sheikhs of the golden chain are happy with you. Then, with great care and delicacy, he pulled the thorns from my feet and washed my wounds. At the same time, he poured into my heart such knowledge that I had never experienced before. This opened for me a vision in which I saw myself entering into the secret of Muhammadan Rasulullah. I saw myself entering into the secret of the verse which is the reality of Muhammad. This led me to enter the secret of La ilaha illallah, which is the secret of the uniqueness of God. This then led me to enter the secrets of God's names and attributes, which are expressed by the secret of oneness of God. Those states cannot be put into words, but can only be known through taste, which is experienced in the heart. In the beginning of my travel on the way, I used to wander at night from one place to another in the suburbs of Bukhara. I visited cemeteries by myself in the darkness of the night, especially in the winter time, to learn a lesson from the dead. One night I was led to visit the grave of Sheikh Ahmed al-Kashgari and to recite Surah al-Fatiha for him. When I arrived, I found two men, whom I have never met before, waiting for me with a horse. They put me on the horse, and they tied two swords on my belt. They directed the horse to the grave of Sheikh Mazdakian. When we arrived, we all dismounted and entered the tomb and mosque of the Sheikh. I sat facing the Qibla, meditating and connecting my heart to the heart of that sheikh. During this meditation a vision was opened to me and I saw the wall facing the Qibla come tumbling down. A huge throne appeared. A gigantic man, whom no words can describe, was sitting on that throne. I felt that I knew him. Wherever I turned my face in this universe, I saw that man. Around him was a large crowd in which were my sheikhs, Sheikh Muhammad Baba Asamasi and Sayyid Amir Kulal. I felt afraid of the gigantic man, while at the same time I felt love for him. I had fear of his exalted presence and love for his beauty and attraction. I said to myself, Who is that great man? I heard a voice among the people in the crowd saying, This great man who nurtured you on your spiritual path is your sheikh. He looked at your soul when it was still an atom in the divine presence. You have been under his training. He is Sheikh Abdul Khalik al-Gushtuwani and the crowd you see are the caliphs who carry his great secret, the secret of the golden chain. Then the sheikh began to point to each sheikh and say, This is Sheikh Ahmad, this is Kabir al-Awliya, this is Arif Rewakri, this is Sheikh Ali Ramitani, 
This is your Sheikh Muhammad Baba Asamasi, who in his life gave you his cloak. Do you know him? I said yes. Then he said to me, That cloak which he gave you such a long time ago is still in your house, and with its blessings God has removed from your life many afflictions. Then another voice came and said, The sheikh who is on the throne is going to teach you something you need while traveling on this way. I asked if they would allow me to shake hands with him. They allowed this and took the veil away and I took his hand. Then he began to tell me about wayfaring, its beginning, middle and end. He said, You have to adjust the wick of yourself in order that the light of the unseen can be strengthened in you and its secrets can be seen. You have to show constancy and you have to be firm in the divine law of the Prophet in all of your states. You have to enjoin the right and forbid the wrong. Quran chapter 3 verse 110 and verse 114, and keep to the highest standard of the divine law. You have to leave the dispensations of ease, throw away innovation in all its forms, and make your Qibla the Prophet's traditions. You have to investigate his life and the life of his companions. Urge people to follow and to read the Quran both day and night, and to perform the prescribed prayers with all their superrogatory worship. Do not ignore even the smallest thing from what the Prophet has shown us of deeds and good works. As soon as Abdul Khalik finished, his Khalif told me, in order to be assured of the certainty of this vision, he is sending you a sign. Tomorrow, go and visit Maulana Shamsuddin al-Ambikuti, who will be judging between two people. Tell him that the one called Aturki is right, and the other called Asaka is wrong. Say to him, you are trying to help Asaka, but you are mistaken. Correct yourself and help Aturki. If Asaka denies what you say and the judge continues in helping Asaka, tell him, I have two proofs. The first requires you to tell Asaka, Oh, Asaka, you are thirsty. He will know what that thirst means. As for the second proof, you must tell Asaka, you slept in adultery with a woman, she became pregnant, you had the baby she was carrying aborted, you buried the baby under the grapevines. On your way from Maulana Shamsuddin, take with you three dry raisins and pass by your sheikh Sayyid Amir Kulal. On your way to him you will find a sheikh who will give you a loaf of bread. Take the bread and do not speak to him. Continue until you meet a caravan. A horseman will approach you. Advise and reproach him. He is going to repent and become one of your followers. 
wear your hat and take the cloak of Azizan to Sayyid Amir Kulal. After that, they moved me and the vision ended. I came back to myself. The next day, I went to my house and I asked my family about the cloak that had been mentioned in the vision. They brought it to me and told me, It has been sitting there for a long time. When I saw the cloak, a state of internal weeping overcame me. I took the cloak and went to the village of Ambikata in the suburbs of Bukhara to the mosque of Maulana Shamsuddin. I prayed the dawn prayer with him and then I told him about the sign which astonished him. Asaka was present and he denied that Aturki was right. Then I told him about the proofs. He accepted the first and denied the second. Then I asked the people in the mosque to go to the grapevine which was near the mosque. They did and found the child who was buried there. Asaka came crying and apologized for what he had done, but it was over. Maulana Shamsuddin and the others in the mosque were in a great state of astonishment. I prepared to travel the next day to the city of Nazk and had with me the three dry grapes. Maulana Shamsuddin tried to detain me by telling me, I see in you the pain of longing for us and the burning desire to reach the divine. Your healing is in our hands. I answered him, O my sheikh, I am the son of someone else and I am his follower. Even if you offer to nurse me from the breast of the highest station, I cannot take it except from the one to whom I gave my life and from whom I took my initiation. Then he kept quiet and permitted me to travel. I moved on as I had been instructed until I met the sheikh who gave me the loaf of bread. I did not speak to him. I took the loaf from him as I had been ordered. Then I met a caravan. They asked me where I was coming from. I said, Ambikata. They asked me when I had left. I said, At sunrise. They were surprised and said, That village is miles away and crossing that distance would take you a long time. We left that village last night and you left at sunrise? and yet you have reached us. I continued on until I met a horseman. He asked me, Who are you? I am afraid of you. I told him, I am the one on whose hand will be your repentance. He dismounted his horse, showing complete humbleness to me, and repented and threw away all the wine that he was carrying. He accompanied me to my sheikh, Sayyid Amir Kulal. When I saw him, I gave him the cloak. He remained silent for some time, and then he said, This is the cloak of Azizan. I was informed last night that you would be bringing it to me, and I have been ordered to keep it in ten different layers of covering. Then he ordered me to enter his private room. 
He taught me and placed in my heart the silent zikr. He ordered me to keep that zikr day and night. As I have been ordered in the vision of Sheikh Abdul Khaliq al-Gushtuwani to keep to the difficult way, I kept that silent zikr, which is the highest form of zikr. In addition, I used to attend the company of the external scholars to learn the sciences of the divine law and the traditions, and to learn about the character of the Prophet and his companions. I did as the vision told me, and this resulted in a big change in my life. All that Sheikh Abdul Khaliq al-Gushtuwani taught me in that vision bore its blessed fruits in my life. His spirit was always accompanying me and teaching me. On Loud and Silent Zikr It is mentioned in the book Al-Bahjat al-Saniyah that from the time of Mahmud al-Fakhnawi to the time of Sayyid Amir Kulal, they kept the way of the loud zikr when in association and the silent zikr when alone. However, when Shah Bahauddin Naqshband received his secret, he kept only the silent zikr. Even in the associations of Sayyid Amir Kulal, when they began to do the loud zikr, he used to leave and go to his room to do silent zikr. This made the disciples somewhat upset. While his sheikh was doing the loud zikr, he was doing the silent zikr. Yet he stood in the service of his sheikh all his life. One day, as Shah Bahauddin and all the followers of Sayyid Amir Kulal were taking a rest from building a new mosque, Sayyid Amir Kulal said, Whoever was keeping bad thoughts about my son Bahauddin was wrong. God has given him a secret that no one was given before. Even I was unable to know it. And he told him, O my son, I have fulfilled the will and advice of Sheikh Muhammad Baba Asamasi when he ordered me to raise you and nurse you in my way of training until you surpassed me. This I have done, and you have the capacity to continue yet higher. So, my dear son, I am now giving you complete permission to go wherever you like and to obtain knowledge from whomever you find. On Subsequent Sheikhs One time I followed Maulana Arif Adin Kharani for seven years. Then I followed Maulana Khuthum Sheikh for many years. One night I slept in the presence of my Sheikh and I saw Sheikh Al-Hakim Hattar who was one of the famous sheikhs of the Turks, telling something to a Darwish named Khalil Khirani. When I awoke, the picture of that Darwish stayed in my mind. I had a pious grandmother to whom I mentioned the dream. She told me, O oh my son, you are also going to follow many Turkish sheikhs. So I looked in my travels for Turkish sheikhs, and I never forgot the picture of that one Darwish. Then, one day in my own country of Bukhara, 
I saw a darwish, and I recognized him as the one in my dream. I asked him his name, and he told me, I am Khalil Khirani. I had to leave him, but I felt terrible to do so. At the time of the evening prescribed prayer, someone knocked at my door. I answered, and a stranger told me, Darwish Khalil Khirani is waiting for you. I was so surprised. How had that person found me? I took a gift and went with him. When I reached his presence, I began to tell him the dream. He said, No need to tell me that dream. I know it already. This moved my heart to be more attached to him. In his company, new unseen knowledge was opened to my heart. He always looked after me, praised me, and lifted me up. The people of Transoxania put him as a king over them. I continued to keep his company even in the time of his sultanate, and my heart grew in love for him more and more, and his heart lifted me ever higher in knowledge. He taught me how to be in the service of the sheikh. I stayed in his company six years. In his presence and in my seclusion, I kept my connection with him. In the beginning of my travel on this way, I met a lover of God and he said to me, It seems as if you are from us. I told him, I hope you are from us and I hope to be a friend to you. One time he asked me, How do you treat yourself? I said to him, If I find something, I thank God, and if not, I am patient. He smiled and said, This is easy. The way for you is to burden your ego and to test it. If it loses food for one week, you must be able to keep it from disobeying you. I was very happy with his answer and I asked his support. He ordered me to help the needy and to serve the weak and to motivate the heart of the broken-hearted. He ordered me to keep humbleness and humility and tolerance. I kept his orders and I spent many days of my life in that manner. Then he ordered me to take care of animals, to cure their sicknesses, to clean their wounds, and to assist them in finding their provision. I kept on that way until I reached the state that when I saw an animal in the street, I would stop and make way for it. He ordered me to look after the dogs of this group with truthfulness and humility, and to ask them for support. He said to me, Because of your service to one of them, you will reach great happiness. I took that order in the hope that I would find one dog, and through service to him, I would find that happiness. One day, I was in the group of one of them, and I felt a great state of happiness overcome me. I began crying in front of him until he fell on his back and raised his forepaws to the sky. I heard a very sad voice emanating from him, and so I raised my hands in supplication and began to say, 
Amin, in support of him until he became silent. What then opened for me was a vision which brought me to a state in which I felt that I was part of every human being and part of every creation on this earth. After wearing the cloak, one day I was in my garden in Khasr al Arafan, where his mosque and tomb are located, wearing the cloak of Azizan. And around me were my followers. I was suddenly overwhelmed by the heavenly attractions and blessings, and I felt I was being dressed and adorned with his attributes. I trembled in a way that I had never experienced before, and I could not remain standing. I faced the Qibla and entered into a great vision. I found myself completely annihilated. And I did not see any existence except my lord's. Then I saw myself coming out from his divine presence, reflected through the mirror of Muhammadan Rasulullah, in the image of a star in an ocean of light without beginning or end. My external life ended, and I saw only the meaning of La ilaha illallah, Muhammadan Rasulullah. This led me to the meaning of the essence of the name Allah, which led me to the absolute unseen, which is the essence of the name Hu, He. When I entered that ocean, my heart stopped pumping and my life ended, putting me in a state of death. My soul left my body, and all those around thought that I had died and were crying. Then, after six hours, I was ordered to return to my body. I perceived my soul slowly re-entering my body, and the vision ended. To deny your existence and to neglect and disregard your ego is the currency of this order. In this state, I entered into every level of existence. Which made me a part of all creations, and which developed in me a certainty that everyone is better than I. I saw that everyone provides benefit, and that only I give no benefit. One day, a surprising state came upon me. I heard the divine voice saying, "Ask whatever you like from us." So I said with humility. O、oh、God, grant me one drop of Your oceans of mercy and blessings. The answer came: You are asking from our great generosity for only one drop. This was like a tremendous slap on my face, and the sting of it lasted on my cheek for days. Then one day I said: O、oh、God, grant me from Your oceans of mercy and blessings. And the power to bear it. At that moment, a vision was opened to me, wherein I was seated on a throne, and the throne was over an ocean of mercy. And a voice said to me, "This ocean of mercy is for you. Give it to my servants." I received secrets from every side, especially from Oasis Herani, 
who greatly influenced me to depart from all worldly matters and to attach myself exclusively to spiritual matters. I did this by firmly keeping the divine law and the orders of the Prophet until I began spreading the unseen knowledge and the granted secrets from the unique oneness that no one before had ever shared. The Miracles of His Sayings and the Sayings of His Miracles On the Differences Among Imams In an assembly of the great scholars in Baghdad, he was asked about the differences in the sayings of the four caliphs of the Holy Prophet. He said, One time Asidik said, I never saw anything except that God was before it. And Omar al-Farooq said, I never saw anything except that God was behind it. And Uthman said, I never saw anything except that God was next to it. And Ali said, I never saw anything except that God was within it. The differences in these sayings is based on the differences in the circumstances at the time they were spoken, and not on differences in belief or understanding. On Travelling the Path What is behind the meaning of the Prophet's narration, Part of faith is to remove what is harmful from the way. What he meant by harmful is the ego, and what he meant by the way is the way of God. As he said to Bayezid al-Bistami, Leave your ego and come to us. He was asked one time, what is meant by travelling the path? He said, the details in spiritual knowledge. They asked him, what are the details in spiritual knowledge? He said, the one who knows and accepts what he knows will be raised from the state of evidence and proof to the state of vision. Whoever asks to be in the way of God has asked for the way of affliction. It was narrated by the Prophet, Whoever loves me I will burden him. One person came to the Prophet and said, O Prophet, I love you. And the Prophet said, Then prepare yourself to be poor. Another time a person came to the Prophet and said, O Prophet, I love God. And the Prophet said, Then prepare yourself for affliction. He recited a verse, Everyone desires the good, but no one has attained the ascension, except by loving the one who created the good. He said, Everyone who likes himself must deny himself. Whoever wants other than himself, wants in reality only himself. On Spiritual Training There are three ways that knowers reach their knowledge. Number one, contemplation. Number two, vision. 
Number three, reckoning. In the state of contemplation, the seeker forgets the created and remembers only the creator. In the state of vision, inspirations from the unseen come to the heart of the seeker, accompanied by two states: contraction and expansion. In the condition of contraction, the vision is of majesty, and in the state of expansion, the vision is of beauty. In the state of reckoning, the seeker evaluates every hour that has passed: was he in complete presence with God, or in complete presence with the world? The seeker in this way must be busy in rejecting evil whisperings and the ego's insinuations. He might reject them before they reach him, or he might reject them after they reach him, but before they control him. Another seeker, however, might not reject them until after they reach him and control him. He cannot get any fruit because. At that time, it is impossible to take the whisperings out of the heart. On spiritual stations, how do the people of God look at the hidden actions and the whispers in the breast? He said, by the light of the vision that God granted them, as mentioned in the holy tradition. Beware of the vision of the believer, because he looks with the light of God. He was asked about showing miraculous powers. He said, "What more miraculous powers do you want than that we are still walking this earth with all these sins upon us and around us?" He was asked, "Who is the reciter?" And who is the Sufi in the saying of Junaid? Disconnect yourself from the reciters of books, and accompany the Sufis. He said, "The reciter is the one busy with the words and the names, and the Sufi is the one who is busy with the essence of the names." He warned. If a disciple, a sheikh, or anyone speaks about a state that he has not attained, God will forbid him to reach that state. He said, "The mirror of every sheikh has two directions, but our mirror has six directions." What is meant by the holy tradition? I am with the one who remembers me. Is a clear evidence and a proof supporting the people of the heart who remember him always. And the other saying of the prophet, speaking on behalf of God, the fast is for me, is an affirmation that the true fast is to fast from all that is other than God. On spiritual poverty. He was asked, "Why are the seekers called the poor?" He said, "Because they are poor, but they do not need to supplicate. Just as Prophet Abraham, 
when he was thrown into the fire and Gabriel came and asked him, Do you need any help? replied, I have no need to ask. He is well aware of my state. Poverty is a sign of annihilation and the erasure of the attributes of existence. He once asked, Who is the poor one? No one answered him. He said, The poor one is the one whose inside is always in struggle and whose external is always at peace. On proper manners with one's sheikh. It is necessary for the follower, if he is confused about something his sheikh has said or done, and is unable to understand his reasons, to be patient and carry it, and not to become suspicious. If he is a beginner, he might ask, but if he is a disciple, he has no reason to ask and should remain patient with what he does not yet understand. It is impossible to reach the love of the people of God until you come out of yourself. In our way, there are three categories of conduct. Number one, Good conduct with God Almighty and Exalted requires that the disciple be externally and internally perfect in his worship, keeping away from all that is forbidden and keeping all that has been ordered and leaving all that is other than God. Number two, good conduct with the Prophet Muhammad requires the disciple to soar in the state referred to in the Quranic verse if you want to love God, then follow me. Quran chapter 3, verse 31. He has to follow all the states of the Prophet. He must know that the Prophet is the bridge between God and his creation, and that everything in this universe is under his lofty orders. Number 3. Good conduct with the sheikhs is a requirement for every seeker. The sheikhs are the causes and the means for following in the footsteps of the Prophet. It is a duty for the seeker in their presence or their absence to keep the orders of the sheikh. One time one of my followers greeted me, but I did not respond to him, although it is a requirement of the sunnah to respond if someone greets you. This made my follower upset. I sent someone after him to apologize, saying to him, At that time when you greeted me, my mind, my heart, my spirit, my body, my soul, were completely lost in the divine presence, listening to what God was saying to me. This made me so engrossed in the speech of God that I was unable to respond to anyone. On Intention To correct the intentions is very important because intentions are from the unseen world, not from the material world. For that reason, Ibn Sirin, author of a book on interpretation of dreams, did not pray at the funeral prayer of Hassan al-Basri. He said, 
How can I pray when my intention has not yet reached me, connecting me to the unseen? Intention, Nia, is very important because it consists of three letters, Nun, which represents Nur Allah, the light of God, Ya, which represents Yad Allah, the hand of God, and Ha, which represents Hidayat Allah, the guidance of God. Intention, Nia, is the breeze of the soul. On the duties of saints. God created me to destroy the materialistic life, but people want me to build their materialistic life. The people of God carry the burden of creation for creation to learn from them. God looks at the heart of his saints with his lights, and whoever is around that saint will get the blessing of that light. The sheikh must know the state of his disciple in three categories, in the past, in the present, and in the future, in order for him to raise him up. Whoever is initiated by us and follows us and loves us, whether he is near or far, wherever he is, even if he is in the east and we are in the west, we nourish from the stream of love and give him light in his daily life. On Loud and Silent Zikr From the presence of Azizan there are two methods of zikr the silent and the audible. I prefer the silent because it is stronger and more advisable. The permission for the dhikr must be given by the perfected one in order to influence the one who is using it, just as the arrow from a master of archery is better than the arrow thrown from the bow of an ordinary person. He added three principles to Sheikh Abdul Khaliq's eight. Number nine, awareness of time. Awareness of time means to watch one's composure and check one's tendency to heedlessness. The seeker must know how much time he has spent in moving towards spiritual maturity and must recognize at what place he has arrived in his journey towards the Divine Presence. The seeker must make progress with all his efforts. He must spend all his time making his one and only goal the arrival at the station of Divine Love and Divine Presence. He must become aware that in all his efforts and in all his actions, God witnesses the smallest detail. The seeker must make an account of his actions and his intentions every day and every night and analyze his actions each hour, each second and each moment. If they are good, he thanks God for it. If they are bad, he must repent and ask God's forgiveness. 
Yaqub al-Sharqi said that his sheikh, Alauddin al-Attar, said, In the state of depression, you must seek forgiveness excessively, and in the state of elation, praise God excessively. To take into consideration these two states, contraction and expansion, is the meaning of awareness of time. Shanakshaband explained that state by saying, You have to be aware of yourself. If you are following the divine law, then you have to thank God, or else you must ask forgiveness. What is important for the seeker in this state is to keep secure the smallest period of time. He has to stand guard on his self and judge if he was in the presence of God or if he was in the presence of his ego at every moment of his life. Shanakshaband said, You have to evaluate how you spend every moment, with presence or in negligence. Number 10. Awareness of Numbers Awareness of numbers means that the seeker who is reciting dhikr must observe the exact number of repetitions comprising the silent dhikr of the heart. To keep an account of the dhikr is not for the sake of the account itself, but is for the sake of securing the heart from bad thoughts and to cause it to concentrate more in the effort to achieve the repetition prescribed by the sheikh as quickly as possible. The pillar of dhikr, through counting, is to bring the heart into the presence of the one who is mentioned in that dhikr, and to keep counting, one by one, in order to bring one's attention to the realization that everyone is in need of that one whose signs appear in every creation. Sharnakshaband said, Observance of the numbers in dhikr is the first step in the state of acquiring heavenly knowledge. This means that counting leads one to recognize that only one is necessary for life. All mathematical equations are in the need of the number one. All creation is in the need of the only one. Number 11. Awareness of the Heart Awareness of the heart means to direct the heart of the seeker towards the Divine Presence, where he will not see other than his Beloved One. It means to experience his manifestation in all states. Ubaidullah al-Ahra said, The state of awareness of the heart is the state of being present in the Divine Presence in such a way that you cannot look to anyone other than Him. In such a state, one concentrates the place of dhikr inside the heart, because this is the center of power. All thoughts and inspirations, good and bad, are felt and appear one after another, circling and alternating, moving between light and dark, 
in constant revolution inside the heart. Thicker is required in order to control and reduce that turbulence of the heart. The meaning of the community of Muhammad. Shanakshaban said, When the Prophet said, The portion of my community destined for hellfire is like the portion of Abraham destined for the fire of Nimrod, he gave the good news of salvation for his community, just as God had written salvation for Abraham. O fire, be cool and safe for Abraham. Quran, chapter 21, verse 69. This is because the Prophet said, My community will never agree on error, affirming that the community will never accept wrongdoing, and thus God will save the community of Muhammad from the fire. Sheikh Ahmad Faruqi said that Shah Naqshaban said, the, com the community of Muhammad includes whoever comes after the Prophet. It is composed of three types. One, Umatu Dawa, absolutely everyone who came after the Prophet and simply heard his message that the Prophet came to all people without exception is clear from many verses in the Quran. Furthermore, his community is the moderating witness over all other communities, and the Prophet is the one witness over everybody, including the other communities and their own respective witnesses. 2. Umat al-Ijaba those who accepted the message. 3. Umatul Mutaba, those who accepted the message and followed in the footsteps of the Prophet. All of these categories of the Prophet's community are saved. If they are not saved by their deeds, then they are saved by the intercession of the Prophet, according to his saying, my intercession is for the sinners of my community. On reaching the Divine Presence He said, What is meant by the tradition of the Prophet, prayer is the ascension of the believer, is a clear indication of the levels of real prayer in which the worshipper ascends to the Divine Presence and there is manifest in him awe and reverence and obedience and humility, such that his heart reaches a state of contemplation through his prayer. This will lead him to a vision of the divine secrets. That was the description of the Holy Prophet's prayer in the biographies. It is said that when the Prophet would reach that state, even the people outside the city could hear coming from his chest a sound which resembled the humming of bees. One of the scholars of Bukhara asked him, How can a worshipper reach the Divine Presence in his prayer? He replied, 
by eating from the hard-earned sweat of your brow, and by remembering God, almighty and exalted, inside your prescribed prayer and outside your prescribed prayer, in every ablution and in every moment of your life. On Hidden Polytheism Sheikh Salah, his servant, reported, Sharnakshaban said one time to his followers, Any connection of your heart with other than God is the greatest veil for the seeker. After which he recited this verse of poetry. The connection with other than God is the strongest veil, and to be done with it is the opening of attainment. Immediately, after he recited this verse, it came to my heart that he was referring to the connection between faith and submission to the will of God. He looked at me and laughed and said, Did you not hear what Halaj said? I rejected the religion of God, and rejection is obligatory on me, even though it is hideous to Muslims. O Sheikh Salah, what came to your heart, that the connection is with belief and Islam, is not the important point. What is important is real faith, and real faith for the people of truth is to make the heart deny anything and everything other than God. This is what made Halaj say, I denied your religion and denial is obligatory on me, although that is hideous to Muslims. His heart wanted nothing except God. Halaj, of course, was not denying his faith in Islam, but was emphasizing the attachment of his heart to God alone. If Halaj was not accepting anything except God, how could one say that he was actually denying the religion of God? His testimony of the reality of his witnessing encompassed and made as child's play the ordinary witnessing of the common Muslim. Sheikh Salah continued, Sharnakshaban said, The people of God do not admire what they are doing. They act only out of the love of God. Rabia al-Adawiya said, O God, I do not worship seeking the reward of your paradise, nor fearing your punishment, but I worship you for your love alone. If your worship is to save yourself or to gain some reward for yourself, it is a hidden polytheism, because you have associated something with God, either the reward or the punishment. This is what Halaj meant. Sheikh Arsalana Dimashki said, as Shanakshaband reported, O God, your religion is nothing but hidden polytheism, and to disbelieve in it is obligatory on every true servant. The people of religion do not worship you, but are only worshipping to attain paradise or to escape from hell. They worship these two as idols, and that is the worst idolatry. You have said, 
Whoever disbelieves in idols and believes in God has grasped the firm handhold. Quran, chapter 2, verse 256. To disbelieve in those idols and to believe in you is obligatory on the people of truth. Sheikh Abu Hassan al-Shazali, one of the greatest of Sufi sheikhs, was asked by his sheikh, O my son, with what are you going to meet your Lord? He said, I am coming to him with my poverty. His sheikh replied, O my son, do not ever repeat this again. This is the biggest idol, because you are still coming to him with something. Free yourself of everything and then come to him. The people of laws and external knowledge hold fast to their deeds, and on that basis they establish the concept of reward and punishment. If they are good, they find good, and if they are bad, they find bad. What benefits the servant is his deeds, and what harms him is his deeds. To the people of the way, this is the hidden polytheism, because one is associating something with God. Although it is an obligation to do good deeds, yet the heart must not be attached to those deeds. They should only be done for his sake and for his love, without expectation of anything in return. On the Nakshabandi Way Shah Nakshabandi said, Our way, Our way is very rare and very precious. It is the firm handhold, the way of keeping firm and steadfast in the footsteps of the Prophet and his companions. They brought me to this way from the door of favours, because at its beginning and at its end I witnessed nothing but the favours of God. In this way, great doors of heavenly knowledge will be opened up to the seeker who follows in the footsteps of the Prophet. To follow the Sunnah of the Prophet is the most important means by which the door will be opened to you. Whoever is not coming to our way, his religion is in danger. He was asked, How does someone come to your way? He replied, By following the Sunnah of the Prophet. We have carried in this way humiliation, and in return Allah has blessed us with his honour. Some people said about him that he was sometimes arrogant. He said, We are proud because of him, because he is our Lord, giving us his support. He said, to reach the secrets of oneness is sometimes possible, but to reach the secrets of spiritual knowledge is extremely difficult. Spiritual knowledge is like water. It takes the color and shape of the cup. Allah's knowledge is so great that however much we take, it is like a drop of a huge ocean.
It is like a vast garden. However much we have cut, it is as if we had cut but one flower. His attitude towards food. Shanakshaband was, may God sanctify his soul, in the highest states of the denial of desire for this world. He followed the way of piety, especially in the act of eating. He took all kinds of precautions in regard to his food. He would only eat from the barley he had grown himself. He would harvest it, grind it, make the dough, knead it, and bake it himself. All the scholars and seekers of his time made their way to his house in order to eat from his table and to partake of the blessings of his food. He reached such a perfection of austerity that in winter he only put old and worn carpets on the floor of his house, which gave no protection from the bitter cold. In the summer he put very thin woven mats on the ground. He loved the poor and the needy. He urged his followers to earn money through lawful means, that is, by the sweat of their brows. He urged them to spend that money on the poor. He cooked for the poor and invited them to his table. He served them with his own holy hands and urged them to remain always in the presence of God, almighty and exalted. If they put a bite of food in their mouth in a heedless way, he would inform them, through his state of vision, what they had done and urged them to keep remembrance of God while eating. He taught that one of the most important doors to the presence of God is to eat with awareness. The food gives the body strength and to eat with consciousness gives the body purity. Once he was invited to a city by the name of Chazyut, where one of his followers had prepared a dinner for him. When they sat for dinner, he did not eat. His host was surprised. Shanakshaban said, O my son, I am wondering how you prepared this food. From the time you kneaded the dough and cooked it until you served it, you were in a state of anger. The food is mixed with that anger. If we eat that food, Satan will find a way to enter through it and to spread his evil throughout our bodies. Another time he was invited to the city of Herat by its king, King Hussein. King Hussein was very happy at the visit of Shah Naqshband and prepared a great feast for him. He invited all his ministers, the sheikhs of his kingdom, and all his noblemen. He said, Eat from this food. It is pure food. I made it from the lawful earnings which I inherited from my father. Everyone ate except Shah Naqshband. Prompting the Sheikh al-Islam of that time, Qutub al-Din, to ask, O oh, our Sheikh, 
Why are you not eating? Shanakshaban said, I have a judge to whom I go to for counsel. I asked him and that judge told me, Oh my son, about this food there are two possibilities. If this food is not lawful and you do not eat, when you are questioned you may say, I came to the table of the king but I did not eat. Then you are safe because you did not eat. But if you eat and you are asked, then what are you going to say? Then you are not safe. At that time, Kutubuddin was so overcome by these words that he began to shake. He had to ask the king's permission to stop eating. The king was very confused. He asked, What should we do with all this food? Shanakshaban said, If there is any doubt about the lawfulness of the food, it is better to send it to the poor. Their need will make it lawful for them. If, as you say, it is lawful, then there is more blessing in giving it as a charity to those who need than in feasting those who do not. He used to fast most of his days. If a guest came to him and he had something to offer him, he would sit with him, break his fast and eat. He told his followers that the companions of the Prophet used to do the same. Sheikh Abul Hassan al-Kharkani said in his book, The Principles of the Way and the Principles of Reaching Reality, Keep harmony with friends, but not in sinning. This means that if you are fasting and someone comes to you as a friend, you must sit with him and eat with him in order to keep the proper company with him. One of the principles of fasting, or of any worship, is to conceal what one is doing. If one reveals it, for example by saying to the guest, I am fasting, then pride may enter and ruin the fast. This is the reason behind the principle. One day he was given a cooked fish as a gift. There were in his presence many poor people, among them a very pious boy who was fasting. Sharnakshaban gave the fish to the poor and told them, Sit and eat. And he told the boy who was fasting, Sit and eat. The boy refused. He told him again, Break your fast and eat. But he refused. He asked him, What if I give you one of my days of Ramadan? Will you sit and eat? Again he refused. He told him, what if I give you my whole Ramadan? Still he refused. He said, Bayezid al-Bustami was once burdened with a person similar to you. After that, the boy was seen running after the worldly life, never fasting and never worshipping. The incident to which Shah Naqshaband was referring occurred one day when Sheikh Abu Turab al-Nakshabi visited Bayezid al-Bistami. His servant offered him food. Abu Turab said to the servant, Come and sit with me and eat. The servant said, No, I am fasting. He said, Eat, and God will give you the reward of fasting for one year.
He refused. He said, Come and eat. I will pray to God that he give you the reward of two years of fasting. Then Sheikh Bayezid said, Leave him. He has been dropped from God's care. Later his life degenerated and he became a thief. His Miracles and Generosity Shah Naqshaband's state is beyond description and the extent of his knowledge cannot be described. One of the greatest miracles was his very existence. He often hid his actions in order not to display miraculous powers. Many of his miracles, however, were recorded. Sharnakshaband, may God bless his soul, said, One day I went out with Muhammad Zahid into the desert. He was a truthful disciple and we had a pickaxe with us with which we were digging. As we were working with the pick, we were discussing such deep states of knowledge that we threw aside the pick and entered deeper into spiritual knowledge. We were going deeper and deeper until this conversation led us to the nature of worship. He asked me, O my Sheikh, to what limit does worship reach? I said, Worship reaches such perfection that the worshipper can say to someone, Die, and that person will die. Without thinking, I pointed at Muhammad Zahid. Immediately he fell down dead. He was in the state of death from sunrise until the midday. It was very hot. I was anxious because his body was deteriorating from the excessive heat. I pulled him under the shade of a tree, and I sat there contemplating the matter. As I was contemplating, an inspiration came to my heart from the Divine Presence telling me to say to him, O Muhammad, be alive! I said it to him three times. In response, his soul slowly began to enter his body, and life slowly began to return to him. He gradually returned to his original state. I went to my sheikh and told him what had happened. He said, O oh my son, God gave you a secret that he has given no one else. Sheikh Alauddin al-Attar said, One time, the king of Transoxania, Sultan Abdullah Khazgan, came to Bukhara. He decided to go hunting around Bukhara and many people accompanied him. Shah Bahauddin Naqshaband was in a nearby village. When the people went out hunting, Shah Naqshaband went to the top of a hill and sat there. While sitting there, it came to his heart that God gave much honor to saints. Because of that honor, all kings of this world should bow to them. That thought had not yet passed from his heart before a horseman with a crown on his head, like a king, came into his presence and dismounted from his horse. With great humility, he greeted Shah Naqshaband and stood in his presence in the most polite manner. He bowed to the sheikh, but the sheikh did not look at him. 
He kept him standing one hour. Finally, Shah Nakshaband looked up and said, What are you doing here? He said, I am the king, Sultan Khazgan. I was out hunting and I smelled a very beautiful smell. I followed it here and I found you sitting in the midst of a powerful light. His very thought, all kings of this world should bow to the saints, had instantly become reality. This is how God honors the thoughts of his saints. One of his followers, who was serving him in the city of Merv, reported, One day I wished to go and see my family in Bukhara, having received news that my brother Shamsuddin had died. I needed to take permission from my sheikh to go. I spoke with Amir Hussein, the prince of Herat, to ask permission on my behalf from Shah Naqshband. On their way back from the Friday congregational prayer, Amir Hussein told him about the death of my brother and that I wanted permission to go to my family. He said, No, it is impossible. How can you say that he is dead when I can see him alive? More than that, I can even smell his smell. I'm going to bring him here now. He had hardly finished his words before my brother appeared. He approached the sheikh, kissed his hand, and greeted Amir Hussein. I hugged my brother, and there was great happiness among us. Sheikh Alauddin al-Attar said, Sheikh Shah Naqshband was once sitting in a large association in Bukhara, speaking about the unveiling of the state of vision. He said, My best friend, Mawla Arif, who lives in Khwarazam, 400 miles from Bukhara, has left Khwarazam for the government building, and he has reached the station of the horse carriages. When he reached that station, he stayed there for a moment, and now he is going back to his house in Khwarazam. He is not continuing on to Sarai. This is how a saint can see in his station of Gnosis. Everyone was surprised at this story, but we all knew that he was a great saint, so we recorded the time and the day. One day Mawla Arif came from Khwarazam to Bukhara, and we told him about that incident. He was very surprised, and he said, In truth, that is exactly what happened. Some scholars from Bukhara traveled to Iraq with some followers of Shah Naqshband, and they reached the city of Simnan. They heard that there was a blessed man named Sayyid Mahmud, who was a disciple of the Sheikh. They went to visit his house and asked him, How did you become connected with the Sheikh? He said, One night I saw the Prophet in a dream sitting in a very nice place, and beside him sat a man of majestic appearance. I said to the Prophet, with complete respect and humbleness, O Messenger of God, I was not honored to be your companion in your lifetime. What can I do in my lifetime that will approximate that honor? He told me, O my son, 
If you want to be honored by being our friend and to sit with us and be blessed, you have to follow my son Shah Bahauddin Naqshband. Then I asked, Who is Shah Bahauddin Naqshband? He said to me, Do you see that person sitting next to me? This is the one. Keep company with him. I had never seen him before. When I awoke, I wrote his name and his description in a book I have in my library. Much time passed after that dream until one day I was standing in a shop. I saw a man with a luminous and majestic appearance come into the shop and sit on a chair. When I saw him, I remembered the dream and what had happened in it. Immediately I asked him if he would honor me by coming to my house and staying with me. He accepted and began to walk in front of me while I followed. I was shy to walk in front of him, even to lead the way to my house. He did not look at me once, but took the path directly to my house. I was about to say, This is my house, when he said, This is your house. He walked inside and went straight to my special room. He said, This is your room. He went into the closet and he took one book from among hundreds of books. He gave me the book and asked me, What did you write in this? What I had written was what I had seen in the dream. Immediately a state of unconsciousness overtook me and I fainted from the light that poured into my heart. When I awoke, I asked him if he would accept me. He was Shah Bahauddin Naqshband. Sheikh Mohammed Zahid said, In the beginning of my traveling on the path, I was sitting beside him one day in the spring season. A craving for watermelon entered my heart. He looked at me and said, Muhammad Zahid, go to that river near us and bring us what you see and we will eat it. Immediately I went to the river. The water was very cold. I reached into it and found a watermelon under the water, very fresh, as if it had just been cut from the vine. I was very happy and I took the watermelon and said, Oh, my Sheikh, accept me. One of his followers reported the following about a visit to him. Before the visit, I asked Sheikh Shadi, one of the senior disciples, to advise me. He said, Oh, my brother, when you go to visit the Sheikh, or when you are sitting in the presence of the Sheikh, be careful not to place your legs so that your feet face him. As soon as I left Khaziyut on my way to Khasar al-Arafan, I found a tree and lay down under it with my legs extended. Unfortunately, an animal came and bit me on the leg. Later, I fell back asleep in pain. As I was sleeping, again an animal bit me. Suddenly I realized that I had made a great mistake. I had extended my feet in the direction of the sheikh. I immediately repented and the animal stopped biting me.
One time he was pushed to show miraculous power in order to defend one of his successors in Bukhara, Sheikh Mohammed Parsa. This occurred at the time when Sheikh Mohammed Shamsuddin al-Jazari came to Samarkand, in the time of King Misra al-Aqbay, to determine the correctness of the chains of transmission in traditions of the Prophet. Some of the jealous and corrupt scholars had complained that Sheikh Mohammed Barsa was giving narrations of traditions whose chains of transmissions were not known. They told Shamsuddin, If you try to correct that problem, God will give you a great reward. Sheikh Mohammed Shamsuddin asked the Sultan to order Sheikh Mohammed Parsa to appear before him. The Sheikh al-Islam of Bukhara, Usamuddin al-Nahawi, was there, along with many scholars and imams from the area. Shah Naqshband came with Muhammad Parsa to the meeting. Sheikh Usamuddin asked Muhammad Parsa about a tradition. Muhammad Parsa narrated the tradition along with its chain of transmission. Sheikh Muhammad al-Jazari said, There is no error in the tradition, but the chain is incorrect. Upon hearing this, the jealous scholars were happy. They asked Muhammad Parsa to give another chain for the tradition. He did, and it was again said that it was not correct. They asked for another chain, and he gave it, and still they found fault with it. Shah Naqshband interfered because he knew that whatever chain he gave, they would say it was incorrect. He inspired Muhammad Parsa to direct a question to Sheikh Husamuddin and say to him, You are the Sheikh al-Islam and the Mufti. From what you have learned of external knowledge and the divine law and the knowledge of the traditions, what do you say about such and such a narrator? Sheikh Hussamuddin said, We accept that person and we base much of our knowledge of traditions on his narrations. We accept his books. His lineage is one that all scholars accept. There is no argument on that matter. Muhammad Parsa said, The book of that person that you are accepting is in your house and in your library between such and such books. It contains 500 pages, and its color is such and such, and the cover looks like such and such, and the tradition you rejected is narrated by that person on page such and such. Sheikh Hussamuddin was confused. Doubt entered his heart because he did not remember seeing such a book in his library. Everyone was surprised that the sheikh would know about the book while the owner did not know about it. There was no alternative except to send someone to check. The tradition was found, as Muhammad Parsa mentioned. When the king heard about this story, the scholars who bought the charges were humiliated, and Shah Naqshband and Muhammad Parsa were honored. His State Upon Leaving This World Sheikh Ali Daman, one of the servants of the Sheikh, said, The Sheikh ordered me to dig his grave. 
When I finished it, it came to my heart, Who is going to be his successor? He raised his head from the pillow and said to me, O、oh、my son, do not forget what I said to you when we were on our way to the Hijaz. Whoever wants to follow me must follow Sheikh Muhammad Parsa and Sheikh Alauddin al Attar. In his last days, he stayed in his room. People made pilgrimage to see him and he gave them advice. When he entered his final illness, he locked himself up in his room. Wave after wave of his followers began to visit him and he gave to each of them the advice they needed. At one point, he ordered them to read Surah Yasin, Quran chapter 36. Then, when they had finished the Surah, he raised his hands to God. He then raised his right finger to say the testimony bearing witness to the one God and the messengership of Muhammad. As soon as he finished, his soul returned to God. He died on a Monday night. The third of Rabiul Awal, 791 Hijra, 1388 Current Era. He was buried in his garden as he requested. The succeeding kings of Bukhara took care of his school and mosque, expanding them and increasing their religious endowments. Abdul Wahhab Sharani. The spiritual pole of his time said, When the Sheikh was buried in his grave, a window to paradise was opened for him, making his grave a paradise from heaven. Two beautiful spiritual beings entered his presence and greeted him and said to him, From the time that God created us until now, we have waited for this moment to serve you. He said to these two spiritual beings, I do not look at anything other than him. I do not need you, but I need my Lord. Shah Naqshband left behind many successors, the most honorable among whom were Sheikh Muhammad ibn Muhammad Alauddin al Khwarazmi al Bukhari al Attar, and Sheikh Muhammad ibn Muhammad ibn Mahmud al Hafizi, known as Muhammad Parsa. The author of Risala Kudzia. It is to the first that Shah Naqshband passed on the secret of the golden chain.